0: Well, welcome back, everybody, to uh, UK Column Extra. And we are delighted today to have a guest, James Roguski. And uh, we've got half an hour for an interesting discussion and uh, hopefully some questions. James, I'm going to hand over to you straight away. Welcome to the UK Column audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about your concerns to do with this treaty.
1: Well, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to be in the background. It's really not so much about me. Uh, I've done many things in my 63 years on the planet. And um, what really happened to me was um, this particular document right here, uh, back on March 28th of 2022, uh, I discovered that it existed. And it's changed my life. And ever since then, I've been reporting on just you know the very many boring documents that the who puts out there and all of their you know relatively boring meetings um, which are punctuated by little tiny bits of information that i've been trying to shed the light on and so uh, this all started for me you know about 19 20 months ago when when i found this particular document and this is um a75 slash 18, right, from April 12th, 2022, I found a, a slightly different version of it. And I, I had done enough research to understand what it was that I was looking at. And it was a document um, pr- proposed by the Biden administration to amend the international health regulations. And the interesting part in it was actually the last amendment, which is Article Fifty Nine, which is you know what we're probably going to be talking about mostly today. And what the Biden administration was trying to do with that original submission was shorten the time period that any future amendments might be considered and um, implemented, you know, into into legally binding force from eighteen months to reject down to six months and from 24 months to implement, down to six months. Now, six months is substantially shorter than 18 or 24, and you have to understand United States political calendar to realize that if the next round of amendments, which is a separate document completely, if those were to be adopted at the end of May in 2024, that's a whole other story, hopefully we have time to talk about it, then six months beyond that would have made it so that the Biden administration could have rammed through whatever might be coming in the future. And so this particular document was kicked to the curb. The nations um, in the WHO back in 2022, long before they met in May of 2022, absolutely rejected Biden's proposal. But what they came up with Um, at the very last minute, was a separate proposal that ultimately was adopted. Now, it's a small thing. There's only five pages here. And it changes, uh, or would amend, five articles. And so Biden didn't quite get his way. Instead of six months and six months, um, the ten months, uh, the 18 months to reject amendments would be shortened in the future down to ten months. And so, for your audience in the UK, these amendments were adopted uh, at the World Health Assembly on May 27th, 2022. On April 3rd, Tess Lory from World Council for Health submitted a petition, a parliamentary petition. It ran for six months, got 116,000 signatures, and had been roundly ignored. Uh, it was calling for a parliamentary discussion about what's the hurry? Why did the Biden administration want to shorten it down to six months? It ended up being 10 months. But, you know, now 17 months and three weeks have passed. And I published an article the other day where very specifically in the UK, it seems like the procedures that your laws require um, have been ignored. Because those amendments, while they're small, um, it seems like they should have been presented to the UK Parliament for 21 sitting days. In the way it's structured, Parliament does not have to approve or ratify or you know, give their assent to it, but they should be given the opportunity or should have been given the opportunity. To consider them, discuss them. That's what the petition was asking for, and, and ha- have a debate and potentially a vote. If they were to vote to reject them, that is supposed to be within their authority to do. But you've had a string of foreign ministers, and what has cropped up recently is you know yet another um, document, which is the treaty and uh, treaties and memoranda of understanding from the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office. It, it states very clearly that any treaty or amendments should be should have been presented at some point over the last 18 months to Parliament for a discussion. But uh, when these were adopted back in May of 2022, Liz Truss was in that office until September 6th when she got a, a new position for a period of time. Uh, her replacement was James Cleverly, who held that office until November 13th. And now David Cameron is holding that office. And none of them seems to have um, done what appears to be their duty to allow Parliament to have a discussion about this. Well, irony and hypocrisy being what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it appears Tess Laurie has um, stated that she got the notification that the debate about the amendments that need to be decided upon before December 1st will be held on December 18th. Huh. And, and so the, yeah. inner, the inner workings of you know, government uh, never cease to amaze me. And um, what I really want to get people to comprehend is this problem started. Way back in July of 1969, there's a story, I'm sure you've heard it, you might remember where you were at the time, that in July of 1969, three American astronauts uh, hopped onto a Saturn V rocket, and they either went to Hollywood or they went to the moon and came back. But while they were doing (laughs) that, that's when the 22nd World Health Assembly was being held in Boston. And at that World Health Assembly is when the international health regulations were first adopted. And there's a lot of important things in those documents, but what's really important is what's missing. There's no language in the international health regulations that said, okay, we've agreed to this, go back to your nation and properly ratify it according to whatever rules Mm -hmm. your nation would
2: follow. And it, ho- it also happens happen. to be the very same year when the Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties was adopted, isn't it? Setting out the framework right. whereby, whereby member state, this is not accidental.
1: Probably oh, not. Very few things are accidental. Yes. And, and so the same lack or, or, you know, non-information in the 1969 uh, amend- uh, regulations set forth the same process for any future amendments. And what I, what I would like to try to get people to visualize is if you could just visualize a big round table with 196 delegates around it, 194 members of the WHO and two additional members, Liechtenstein and the Vatican, are party to the International Health Regulations, which is a separate agreement. So 196 delegates sitting around a table. And it, it almost, in my mind, looks like you know a two dimensional view of a coronavirus. The way it's drawn, draw a line out from each delegate to the head of to the head of state who appointed that delegate. So you've got 196 heads of state who appoint 196 delegates to go do their bidding at these meetings, and then build a dome over it. And what happened in 1969 is not necessarily that our nations lost their sovereignty because the head of state still can speak for the nation but it built a wall between the executive branch of government and the people and the legislative branch that is supposed to represent them Uh, extremely well at, at, at least in the uk there's still a snippet of well. The executive branch of government, the foreign minister, the health minister, the prime minister, uh, the king, for that matter, don't ask parliament to give their approval. But they are supposed to give parliament the opportunity to reject. Now, this all came out because someone in Australia asked me to research the system in Australia. And it is different in Australia. It's most likely different in, in every nation. In Australia, Canada, New Zealand, other nations of the Commonwealth, um, the parliament has zero say. They do not, they're not obligated to give parliament even an opportunity to reject. The decision is made essentially by the crown, through their governor general, through the prime minister and and, and the cabinet ministers. They don't ask parliament in in those nations whether or not they approve of the decision parliament will be told to pass legislation to implement the decision that is made by the cabinet
2: and the prime minister. And so we had exactly the same, we were in the European union. We had exactly the same with transposition of EU law regulations and directives.
1: And, and nations in the EU, uh, you know, have their own unique situation here in the United States. Um, You know, I actually kind of wanted to to lead with what I'm about to say, so I'll I'll say it now. Uh, If you go back to 1969 and you try to find here in the United States, and you can do it in the UK or anywhere else, where was there a public comment period? Where could you possibly find that the Senate here in the United States held discussions about the international health regulations and and had a vote or gave their advice and consent. That didn't happen in 1969. Fast forward to 2005, there was a wealth of changes that were put forth and adopted by the um, World Health Assembly in 2005. Can you find anywhere in the records where the Senate or the UK parliament or the Australian parliament or any parliament anywhere on the planet um, invited public comment and had a debate and gave their advice and consent. Well, they also didn't do the same thing uh, in regards to what was adopted in 2022. Very small batch of amendments, but no debate in the Senate, no debate in Parliament, even though the people asked. You know, in in Canada, there was a petition, they got 18,973 signatures uh, in 30 days. UK got 116,000, Australia got 55,000, in 30 days. And the will of the people was roundly ignored in in those nations. And in the UK, um, you know, the irony of scheduling the debate on the 18th, when the deadline is the first,
2: um, you, you know, you just can't write this kind of stuff. It, it, it's astonishing. And James, yeah. you, you have actually identified a senior civil servant below these uh, rotating door foreign secretaries who is personally going to be made to Carry the buck for this, haven't you? In the in the blog that uh, uh, Mark mentioned by you in the main news, you found that Sir Philip Barton, Permanent Under Secretary, is responsible uh, for laying these matters before Parliament in the name of the Foreign Secretary, and he appears not to have done so. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I've reached out um, to Andrew
1: Bridgen. To, he's said he would ask the um, uh, Library, uh, Commons li- uh, Library. Um, I search through, you know, Hansard and see if there was any record of anything. Now, what is likely to be said is, oh, these are minor. These are minor. So we didn't bother.
2: Right. And the Finnish president, last time require... I was on, did exactly that. You no, know, President Nini mm-hmm. of Finland openly told parliament last week, uh, you don't get to say this is technical, you know, but uh, you have already right. dug out that our 2010 constitutional statute on this says Normally, technical stuff doesn't go by Parliament unless it amends a treaty, in which case it does. Um,
1: ignorance of the law is not supposed to be an excuse. And the the point behind my effort to raise this awareness is the vast majority of people have really no idea of the difference between lawful authority and power. And, and so... The law is supposed to define who has the authority and the responsibility yes. that goes with that authority exactly. to to do right. Now, many people have power, and they can override authority because you know the power of wealth or the power of you know military force or whatever um, seems to trump authority and you know what is right or wrong. But in this particular case, the the point that I've been trying to make is. If you pay attention to how they behave when things are small, okay, and you look at the history with the amendments to the international health regulations, these decisions have been made by the, you know, I I, I talked about putting a dome over the delegates and the um, heads of state who appointed them to this essentially um, leadership council right? It's, we all, we already live since 1969 in a health dictatorship, not necessarily with Tedros Gabratius or the director general or dictator general of the WHO at the head of it, <laughs> but each, each nation's head of state was handed over authority that they're probably not supposed to have. And what I'm really talking about is not a global coup, which, yeah, that's in process, but more internally in each nation where we the people have lost control of our own executive branch. In the United States, um, about three, four months ago, Javier Becerra, who is the uh, secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, was interviewed, and he said in response to a question very clearly that he wants all Americans to know that the federal government does not have any lawful authority over health. It's crystal clear, anybody who reads our constitution, you just do a word search on it, and you will not find the word health anywhere. The federal government has no authority. But then he went on to say, but we do have a lot of money. And they direct money to Medicare and Medicaid and Obamacare and all these other things. And and so people gravitate to it. And if you're if you're basically looking for benefits and the government can print money and offer you those benefits, most people mistake that for actual lawful authority. They get trapped into the situation where they, they want these benefits from the government. And then if you want a benefit, well it comes with strings attached and you have to do what they say to get the funding and and the services and all that sort of thing. this awareness is what I'm trying to raise in people around the world. Understand that back in 1969, you began to lose, maybe before that, but certainly then, you began to lose control mm-hmm. of your own government. And now, you know, 54 years later, they're proposing uh, amendments, which the real interesting story right now is. Uh, In the next round of amendments that they have proposed and are negotiating in secret, in the last (laughs) meeting that they had, October 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th, they clearly stated that they're having difficulty reaching an agreement, and they stated that they are not going to meet their deadline. Article 55 of the International Health Regulation says very clearly, and and they had their legal counsel, Stephen Solomon, talk for a good five minutes, just reading essentially one sentence which says that any nation who wants to propose amendments has to do so four months in advance of the May Assembly. Well, four months in advance of May 27th is January 27th. So we're down to about eight and a half weeks now. And they know that they're not going to meet their deadline. So they spent a good hour talking about how they were just going to ignore that rule. And they published a document at the end of that meeting. And since then, they've scheduled meetings for February and April. And they've said very clearly that they intend to just keep negotiating right up to the last minute, if need be, and ignore. The rule, Article 55, that they know exists that says, well, you know, you're supposed to present this four months in advance. So everybody has a chance to look at it. Now, they're going to have another meeting December 7 and 8. We shall see what they make public because they have not made any of it public um, since the original versions were put out, uh, originally received September 30th of 2022. So, they've been secretly negotiating this for a year. I hesitate to talk about the details. We know what they had proposed, and some of the things are ridiculous, but we don't know the status of it right now. And quite frankly, I think it's a mess because the, the nations are not coming together in any type of an agreement. Um, we shall see what they present next week sometime.
0: Right,
3: Mark. If I may, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, James and I talked about this last night, and it's interesting, in 2005 and 2022, the same basic thing happened. They just uh, uh, scuttled the idea of giving participating nations the required time to review what's going on. And so they just keep negotiating right into that required time frame and just keep pushing everything along uh, nilly-willy. And, of course, uh, Biden, in the meantime, is trying to keep all of this on his watch so the next president doesn't get a chance to uh, overturn what's going on in this juggernaut. And so even though the content is a little hard to discern, we can pretty much assume that uh, some of the content is probably pretty disagreeable to a freedom-loving, rational person. And I like, James, how you broke this down between power and authority. Power can just be exercised in a kind of raw, arbitrary manner. The person exercising it may not actually have the authority, which is kind of like permission, to exercise that power, and so the exercise of power without authority is really the textbook definition of tyranny, and that's mm. what we're seeing here. Um, yeah, we have and to look Nancy at the- Pelosi, process.
2: when she was Speaker of the House,
3: Nancy Pelosi was famous or infamous for
2: her statement that being mm. the role of being Speaker gave her so much power.
0: Yeah, can can I yeah, just yeah. add exactly? Can I just add a can thing have a, thing yeah, in there? Have the authority. And that that is that, uh, let's come back to our old friend Common Purpose, Uh, because Common Purpose in its training of future leaders within the civil service or uh, public authorities here in the UK, but also it was in contact with MPs, David Cameron being one of the lead ones. And what was it talking about? It was talking about acting outside of authority, and so this pernicious charity that buried itself everywhere, training thousands and thousands and thousands of people in UK, was inviting them to do this very thing, to acts, act outside of their actual authority. And, and, Brian, and do, you, do you think that goes up to the king?
2: I ask because the Daily Express, we had to scrap it from the main news, but the Daily Express has got hold of constitutional gold by finding in, in the midst of a piece which was about, uh, yeah, let's bring that on screen because it's your bit, but in the midst of um, uh, a, a piece which was largely about how the king was making much less use than his mother uh, of these councillors of state, that's councillors with an S, you know, uh, uh, people who stand in for the king, senior royals, uh, who can sign routine stuff, they let slip that when he was recently travelling to Kenya, um, he signed Scottish legislation in his own hand, which is something that hasn't gone on since the 1960s again, because there was a Western worldwide, if not fully fully worldwide constitutional revolution back in the 60s. And as part of that royal assent, the equivalent of presidential signing of a bill was, was sidelined, was given to you know, the, the Queen's cousins, as they were called back then. Charles is now taking that back to himself, which means, A, he's obeying the constitution, surprisingly, in some ways, more than his mother did, Perhaps he's got more gumption, or he's less afraid of advisors. But B, it means he's on the hook personally.
0: Yeah, well, I do. I, I personally believe he's he's on the hook. He is. He's just one of the puppets. And uh, okay, he's a very high-status puppet, but he's one of the puppets. And to see his subservience to the World Economic Forum, I, th- I think is just incredible. I'd actually got it. We, we didn't have time in the news to cover it, but I, I just wanted to remind people of what uh, Charles, as Prince Charles, had been up to, and so I had a couple of slides here from the World Economic Forum. This is going back to 2020. Um, if we might just pop up, pop one of these up on sc- screen. I won't do the whole thing, but um, he's, he's reiterating that we're in the crisis and he's dedicated much of his life to restoring harmony. Trust me, I'm the man, I can solve your problems. Uh, then he talks about how to secure the future and to prosper. Uh, we need to involve, evolve our economic model. Well, who's creating that? That's got to be the globalists and the corporations. It's certainly not Prince Charles, although he does own his, whatever it is, uh, 100,000 hectares of land in this country. But this is the bit that I focused in on. He said, therefore, to move forward, we need nothing short of a paradigm shift, one that inspires action at revolutionary levels and pace. And this, to me, is what's inside this man. He is after revolution to be driven through the world economic forum so yes. he he's a king out of control in my if opinion if i may uh... Come
2: uh, well, While mark on. is talking uh, perhaps brian to bring up the estonia slide mark over to you uh
3: yeah well I'll oh, if just i may comment
1: that... if i may comment on what was said before um, if i said something like that here in the United States, um, I would be accused of domestic terrorism, you know, calling for a revolution. And and so the, the way this is all structured, uh, a lot of times people will say, well, you know, what can we the people do? At, at this point for the people in the UK, please realize that it appears that the 21-day period for parliament to have been given the opportunity to consider these small changes, um, it's already missed the deadline. It's not possible for that to happen before December 1st. The petition that the people put forth requesting that discussion is scheduled for the 18th, You know, long after the deadline. What you have right now is a front row seat to a soap opera that involves a train wreck. It's a slow motion train wreck. You get to see how your government is ignoring the will of the people ignoring their responsibility um in an issue that's actually relatively small and i just want to ask this really simple question what benefit could there possibly be to the people and their health by shortening the time period to consider massive changes that are you know secretly being negotiated and may be considered next year To what benefit to the people is any of these or are any of these changes? It certainly seems that they're just trying to set the stage to ram through a lot of changes that, you know, they couldn't even let us to have a discussion over changing something from 18 months to 10 months and 24 months to 12 months. Do you really think they're going to give us an opportunity to discuss all of the things that they have in store for us in the future?
2: Right. And this is going on in EU member states as well, because they, of course, usually have a committee the world, in their, yeah. their national parliaments. That And we had this when we were in the EU formally. We still are informally, but mm-hmm. we would have a committee uh, in both chambers of parliament that would say, OK, we've looked at this EU legislation and we're OK with this. We'll green card it. We're not OK with this. We're going to have a debate on it We'll red card it. Um, and out of that, Dr. Christina Baum of Alternative für Deutschland has written uh, to the health uh, minister at federal level in Germany, Dr. Karl Lauterbach, calling on him to declare to the WHO by the the 30th of November, later this week, at the latest, that Germany rejects the the shortening of the deadlines. Let's bring Estonia on screen. The expose is reporting this. It has been misreported in other places as Estonia says no to the WHO. It's actually a, a runaway committee of 11 patriotic MPs in Estonia that has said it's, it's going to say no to the double whammy. The P- pandemic treaty and the IHR, for both of these, look at James's and Mark's reporting to see the difference, including ukcolumn.org. But here is a summary of what's in the letter. They wrote eight days before this deadline James been talking about, and they have said that the committee that liaises with the European Union only has 12 people on it, and only nine of those 12 nodded through uh, back in 2022 that these amendments were fine. So Kalle Gruntal, one of the uh, 11 MPs who's written now to the WHO WHO says, we, they're taking upon themselves, I think it's constitutional maximalism, but they're saying we are now Estonia because our government hasn't done its job and our parliament was asleep at the wheel. We 11 MPs declare as the republic that we reject and do not consent to the uh, agreement or the regulations. And there's the letter itself, straight to Dr Tedros, uh, based on Article 22 of the constitution of the WHO, we do not consent to this uh, legislation. So there we are. We'll see where that leads us. But that's just across the bay from Finland where President Minister said, I'm making no bones about it. I'm cutting Parliament out of this.
0: OK, thank you, Alex. Now, many of our, uh, our uh, viewers are saying that poor, Mar- <laughs> poor Mark is not getting an opportunity to come in. So we're going to say we're getting towards the end of the time, Mark, but... Uh, step forward, speak out, what would you like to say?
3: Uh, Well, I did once. Well, what we're seeing here, I think this is the all-encompassing assessment of this, is the people that call themselves government are actually practicing non-government when you don't have the authority to exercise power and you're talking about revolutionary measures to to really nudge things along. Like Prince Charles was saying, he also said the only obstacle is our willingness or unwillingness to act. Um, that's not what government even is. Uh, the very idea of government is based on people being delegated, limited, carefully defined authority to carry out limited duties for the good of all. So this is non-government. This is the breakdown of government. This is literal civic breakdown. Uh, manifesting itself with the IHR, but all across the whole governmental structure. So the real revolutionaries are those that are accusing others of being revolutionaries and uh, the globalists accusing everyone else of of engaging in skullduggery when they are the unrivaled champions of it. And I think we need to finalize today's show with this blatant, blunt, but candid, true statement that this is not government at all. This Um, is the antithesis of it.
0: Mark, I'm going to agree with you on that, but I'm going to say, uh, for me, it's not breakdown in the first instance because it's calculated breakdown. And that yes. means it's the usurping of of proper um, governmental powers and checks and balances, responsibility, accountability. But the whole thing is you're, you're orchestrated, right. even though... To say,
3: break- to say breakdown, uh, it sounds... Passive, like it's happening randomly. It's being broken down, which yeah. is an active. thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank okay.
0: You. Now we're just about out of time, but uh, James, is there anything you'd like to, you know, just finish on? One of the, the things I'd like to ask you is what would, what would you say to people? What would you like our viewers to be doing to help you or to try and address this situation
1: well, you, you may think that I have lost my mind, but every time I give an interview, I give my phone number and I'm in the United States. I'm in California. If you have <laughs> questions, reach out to me. My phone number is 310 619 3055. You can use Signal or Telegram or WhatsApp or text me or call me. I'll call you, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get in touch. I understand that this is confusing. What we need to do first is understand, comprehend what's really going on, happy to help anybody You know if they have any questions, then spread the word, share this video with everybody you possibly can so other people know what's going on, and then do your duty as part of you know, your society and government and tell your members of parliament that you are not happy, tell them what you want, because if, if they then fail to properly represent you, then that's their fault. But if you fail to tell them what it is you want, then that's your fault. So don't be at fault. Learn, share the information, and speak up because they they view silence as consent. And I'm pretty sure none of your listeners are going to remain silent. Uh,
0: James, here. go uh, ahead, James, Mark. make sure you...
3: Uh, since it's an international audience, give your email too. Your website is jamesroguski.substack.com. Uh, very informative. What's your email?
1: It's james.rogusky at gmail.com. But quite frankly, yeah. um it's easier to it's easier to take the phone calls because this requires an awareness that you can't get texting back and forth and all that. So I, I welcome the phone calls. You know, um you can do communication on these apps quite easily. Give me a phone call, 310-619-3055. And you
2: need to add a 00 to that or a plus one if you're using a texting app. Correct.
0: Okay, James, I'm going to say thank you very much for joining us. Really interesting. And uh, you've given the prompt there for people to do something, even if it's small, challenge the MP. Send that email uh, to your MP. Make that call. And I'll just say... I called you yesterday and you did answer the phone and we set this whole thing up. So very big thank you from me and the UK Column. I think we've got to end it there, but I see a couple of people saying we should make this particular extra public and I think that'd be a good thing to do if we can. Uh, But James, thank you very much for your work and uh, uh, for the UK Column audience, please go and have a look at James's uh, Substack and call him if you're minded to. So we'll say thanks thank you very so much, much for
1: the opportunity. I really, I really do appreciate it.
0: Okay. Brilliant. Good see,
3: you, see you later.
0: Okay. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Alex. And I'll just say to the UK column audience, things are getting tougher. It's obvious to see there's a lot of uh, angst out there in the community. And If you value us, I believe that in the fairly near future, we are going to have to say to you, you've really got to stand up and support us, and we need to increase our support base if we're to um, expand, cover the material that you want us to, but also to have the strength to stand up against the attacks that are going to come in so it doesn't just end with the fact we're in a shiny new studio we need the strength in a number of areas to do what we're doing and to do it better so over to you and see if you can draw in some more subscribers for us thanks for joining us we'll say bye-bye